I'm Mike Gorman, and you're listening to the Celtics Pod podcast for Celtics Blog. Here's your host, Adam Taylor. How's it going, Ashley? Hey, Adam. I've just had Nick bring it. Nick, I'll bring it. Was like Nick. Got, oh, okay. I can hear you. I don't know if Nick got cut off there, but yeah, I'll bring um, it back up afterwards. How can I help? Uh, what do you think about, uh, I don't know if it was just today or over the weekend, the whole thing where there's, I think this is a thing that happens like every season where multiple teams are interested in Marcus Smart. But since this year, it seems like we're a bit more desperate for some change, uh, obviously because we don't really look great. Um, what's your opinion on either keeping Smart or getting rid of him. I know his contract is going to get a little bit complicated in the next year or so. So what's your opinion on that? Yeah, so Marcus Smart's an unrestricted free agent at the end of next year. Um, I think a lot of decisions that you make now involving whether you're going to keep him around or add him into any trade discussions are based around whether you think he's going to get more value on the market than what you're willing to match. I know I've heard people say maybe 20 million a year. I think that's a bit of an overpay for Marcus Smart, if I'm being honest. Uh, that's blasphemy for a Celtics guy to say, but it's true. <laughs> um, I understand why. I mean, look, you give Marcus Smart the deal he's on and you know instantly that that's one of, that's the most tradable contract on your roster. It's probably one of the more tradable contracts in terms of value in the league because of the level of defensive player that Marcus Smart is. And he's improved his three-point shooting as well. So now his value is high in comparison to what his contract is. When you're talking yeah. like, the, I mean, the rumours that have came out today have mainly situated around Atlanta, right, with John Collins. Mm-hmm. And that makes a ton of sense for Atlanta. You need a defensive guard next to Trey Young because Trey Young just cannot defend to save his life. <laughs> yeah. um, and having Marcus Smart next to him and the, the passing that Smart could bring as well to take some of those ball handling duties off Trey Young so you could operate him in a bit of an off-ball role from time to time just to ease that pressure, make a ton of sense. And you can really understand why Atlanta would say to the Boston, like, look, we do, we know that we're not going to be keeping John Collins, but we can match any offer that John Collins gets in restricted free agency and look to move him after. So, all sorry, Atlanta are in a bit of a position of strength here. Um Personally, I don't think that I'd move Marcus for Collins. I, I, I go back and forth on this quite a lot. I just think that you know exactly what you're getting with Marcus Smart. You know the the ball handling that he brings, the playmaking. Yeah, you don't necessarily and, know what you're getting with John Collins. Exactly, right? You, yeah, you haven't seen right. him in this system. And it doesn't, like, it shouldn't go unnoticed that against Orlando, Marcus Smart was operating as the primary playmaker for a large mm-hmm. portion of that game. And the ball moves perfectly and the Celtics play ex- exceptionally well. He was teeing guys up. He was dropping dimes. He just orchestrates the offense and defense really well vocally and from a leadership standpoint. So unless you're swinging for a bigger deal than John Collins, like, I don't think he's untradeable. I don't think Marcus Smart isn't untouchable. But I just think that you want to get back more value than just John Collins in that deal. Yeah, I agree for sure. Who would Thanks, you Adam. trade him for? That's the question. Yeah, that's. I don't. I mean, if it's, it's, if if it's in the Hawks, I just don't see anyone that would fit what we're doing in Boston. I just John Collins because he fits the the position we're trying to fill, but that doesn't necessarily mean that he's going to fit chemistry wise and uh, every every you know he's going to check every box. 
Um, yeah, the other worry I've got is you move on from Marcus Smart for John Collins and then Kemba goes down with injury. Your depth chart at that point guard position really plummets quick. Yeah, for sure. You're not, you're, you're relying on Jeff Teague at that point to run the show. And um, when you're relying on Jeff Teague, it's always going to be a bad time. Yeah, we've seen that a couple of times this season. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it's tough. We it is tough. With Jeff Teague. I mean, quite honestly, I didn't think Jeff Teague was going to be that bad. <laughs> but then I saw him and I was like, wow, like this is a lot worse than I thought. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was good five, six years ago. But um, father time hasn't been good to him. I think his decision-making and sure. pick-and-roll play is terrible. Um, never rewards the rolling big. Always looks off. He'll rather swing it to the weak side corner than just throw a lob pass for like Rob Williams to finish easily or feed the post so somebody can back down there, man. He never looks for the mismatch. I'm not a big fan of Jeff Teague at all. Um, yeah. And that's another reason why I'd be very cautious about moving Marcus Smart on in a deal that doesn't land you at least an average level point guard in return, along with somebody like a John Collins. Yeah, for sure. Do you think Do you think the Celtics will actually do something by the deadline? Or do you think they're just going to hold off until the offseason? I think there's more pressure to this. Yeah, I mean, there's more pressure this year, right? Like, the team's not been great. Um, Danny Ainge has been torn over the coals for weeks, months even at this point. And this, the, the team have three TPEs. They have the one from the Ennis Cantor deal, the one from the Vincent Poirier deal, and then the big one from the Gordon Hayward deal. Yeah. So I'd, I'm not one to say that you don't use the big TPE, but if you don't think there's value in making a swing like that and using the, the big boy... You still have two smaller deals that you can make to make some fringe moves. And I think unless we're seeing an Aaron Gordon or Harrison Barnes deal, we're going to see something more uh, conservative that operates on the fringes just to try and bring a bit of veteran leadership onto that bench unit. Yeah, or at for least sure. I hope. I mean, I hope. Yeah, that makes, that makes sense. It's just, I guess, as a fan, you look and you're like, this is taking forever. We continue to lose games. I'm usually a patient fan, but then over time, you know, it kind of sucks to just get to the semifinal or the Easter conference final and then not be able to go, you know, knowing what your cap is like, you know, yeah, we'll make it to the Eastern conference, but we're not going to win, you know? So I guess over time, it just takes a toll on fans, especially in a year like this where fans weren't able to go to games and stuff. So it's definitely a tough time to be a a Celtic fan for sure. Yeah. The worst part about that is like, um, I feel like a lot of people are more invested this year because they can't travel. There's very like a lot of our, um, freedom has been taken away no one's really able to go to the cinema or go ice skating or whatever it is that you do on a weekend that's not really viable at the moment so everyone's thrown themselves into their sports teams and then when you see teams around the same conference as you just stacking those shells you know brooklyn have gone out and brought in james harden they've brought in um, blake griffin then you see milwaukee swing a deal for pj tucker which has been a name on celtics fans lips for most of this season yeah. It, it, it becomes really tough to swallow. So I think that that adds pressure onto the front office to make a deal. But I do think that they shouldn't be forced into making a deal for a deal's sake. It needs yeah. to be a deal that yeah. improves you. For sure. I agree. Thanks, Adam. Awesome. No problem. Thank you for joining in. Yo, what's up, Trey? Hey, what's up? I'm doing well, man. I'm doing well. You? Good. Just wanted to talk about the market smart situation. I'm um, just saying that I'm preparing myself for a market smart trade at some point. I don't want it to happen, but like mentally, like I'm preparing myself just due to like all the financial implications of it. I mean, what do you think he's going to be worth next year on the open market? 
unrestricted as well. So the Celtics do not, the Celtics have to make an offer, but they can't match any offer sheet that gets put to him. So I do think he, he gets close to 20 million. Like if you're looking at a team like Atlanta, are they going to have cap space again? I'm not exactly sure. I think that's part of trying to move on from Bogdanovich as well, is they realized that they kind of killed it this year. Like a lot of people were questioning the fit of Bogey plus Gallinari plus Ronda. I think that if they want Marcus Smart that badly and they don't get him in this deal, they'll find a way to open the cap sheet up. Yeah, I could just see a team that, you know, already has its young guys that might be willing to pay him. Like even like a team like OKC, you know, he's, you know, he's, he played in OKC State. Um, like he could be offered a contract by them and they could, you know, they still have Shea on his rookie deal or they have enough young guys where they can pay out a guy like Marcus Smart. So I do yeah. think he's going to command <clears throat> close to $20 million. Um, If I had to and I was the Celtics, I would give it to him. But my whole thing is that the Celtics have never really had more than like two to three max level contracts um, all in the books at one time. You know, we started off with Kyrie who was making like closer to 20 million. Uh, so it wasn't like a, a max. And then we had uh, Gordon Hayward on max and Al Horford pretty much on his max at the time. And that became from losing, uh, losing Kyrie and losing Horford. We ended up turning that into Kemba Hayward and Marcus. Um, and now that Jalen Brown's extension has kicked in, it's Kemba, Jalen Brown, and Marcus. And so now next year with Tatum's extension kicks in, the max contracts will be Kemba, Tatum, and Brown. And so we're left with the $28.5 million TPE. Um, so it's like we, we've never had like three or four max level guys on the books you, at the you same hamstring so, yourself when you do that. That's why. So I'm not sure if it'll ever happen, which is the thing is like if, all right, for example, if you trade for John Collins right now, you bring him in and you match any offer that he gets. Um, so now you're looking at paying him like, let's say 25 million is the number, right? So now when you look at the books, it's Kemba who's on, on the top and then it's both of the J's. And then you have John Collins making 25 million. So, You've got four guys making north of $25 million, and you still have a TPE left to use. So that that's where it complicates things. And at that point, you might have to take a look at moving Kemba Walker. So it, it all depends on who you bring in. But I just wanted to point out that the Celtics have never, you know, throughout having stacked teams with Gordon Hayward, Marcus Morris, we've never had, you know, three or four max level contracts at the same time. The closest yeah, I don't... Game I'm sorry, was, go ahead. The closest we came was when we had Kyrie, Horford, and uh, and Hayward, and we were going to eventually end up having to give uh, Jalen Brown his max. So if everyone stayed, then we would have had all of those guys on the books, but it never it never happened. So we've been able to dodge that. And that was always a big concern for the Celtics. I remember having discussions about what their future cap sheet would look like if they, all those guys had stayed. I think that if you make a deal for John Collins, then you accept that you're going to look to move on from Kemba. Because you just can, you can't build a contending team with that many max deals. It's really hard to put the veterans around them. And I right. understand vets are going to come as as you start looking like a championship team. But realistically, if we're being honest with ourselves, there's a 
a Campbell Walker, Jalen Jason, and John Collins really scream contender to you against the the Lakers and against the Nets? Because it doesn't scream contender to me. No, and so that's the thing. I think that you can make a serious case for trading Kemba Walker uh, because you can just, you know, frame it as that we've come to the realization that we're not where we thought we would be. So therefore, Kemba doesn't really fit the timeline and doesn't fit as, you know, we thought he would previously. So I think Danny Ainge can make that case, if not right now at the deadline uh, and the offseason. I think the hardest part is finding fair value. Like, you know it's not going to be um, a fair deal. You're going to lose on that Kemba Walker trade because his contract's just seen as an albatross at this point. Um, I've, I've been preaching everybody to kind of look at this from Hayward-tinted glasses, that Kemba's still learning to be a third option. Like, he's been a number one guy his entire life, just as Hayward had been until Hayward came into Boston. And we're asking Kemba now to become this third option guy, and he's struggling with it just like Hayward did had injuries just like Hayward had, obviously not as bad as what Hayward's leg break was, but still injuries nonetheless. I've just got this sneaking feeling that we're, we're going to move on from Kemba and then we're going to see Kemba be Kemba again in a number one role. And maybe that's okay, because what you really need to do is bring in somebody that can be a third a, a third option or a fourth option, which is why Harrison Barnes makes so much sense in so many different ways, and so does Aaron Gordon. But I do agree, like moving on from Kemba... If you're looking at bringing in somebody else that makes max money or close to max money, then it's going to be Canberra to be the domino to fall. Right, right. Yeah, I'm not opposed to keeping Canberra. It's really just the money. Um, as far as like where he would go, I have like you know two places that I could think of. New York being one of them. Um, I think they'll have the cap space to just like absorb him in the off season. So that could create like a whole nother TPE if that's something they're willing to do. Um, but right now, if I could deal him to one place, I guess it would be the Pelicans because uh, they're in a sim- similar situation with the Eric Bledsoe contract. Um, now, granted, it's only like about, I'd say, $17 million or so, but it's the same timeline as Kemba. So they still have to pay out that for the next couple of years. Um, I think the last year on his deal is not guaranteed. Um, so, But essentially, if you take on Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, and let's say J.J. Redick, you get Lonzo and as part of that deal for taking on Bledsoe, and you give up Kemba and, let's say, a first-round pick. I'm not sure what gets it done, but I think that New Orleans would be willing to listen on something like that. Yeah, Only, just... only if they get off of Bledsoe's contract. I'd just be careful with attaching a pick to that deal, especially when you're getting back Lonzo that's going to hit his own restricted free agency. You're stuck with Bledsoe and Reddick is, you know, Reddick's Reddick. That's fine. But I'd just be concerned that you're trading away Kemba. You're getting Lonzo, who I think is a great fit. I'm not going to argue there. But you're going to have to pay Lonzo. Like, we know he's not, go- he's not going to demand John Collins' money, but he's going to demand some form of money. Then you're going, and then is he going to be happy in Boston? Is there going to be discourse? But the biggest issue is you're taking back the Bledsoe deal. And then you've got uh, Marcus Marcus Smart, Eric Bledsoe, Lonzo Ball, Peyton Pritchard, and Jeff Teague. Uh, right. I'm, I'm just worried about minutes distribution. Unless you could bring in somebody else that would be willing. Like, I'd be more than willing to bring in a third team and send out an extra pick to redirect Bledsoe elsewhere. Then I think that deal works great, personally. I'd just be very cautious about bringing in Bledsoe and really clogging up that point guard rotation. So my only counter to that is 
you know, Celtics fans are never going to give up the Bradley Bill dream. Um, so if you want to have the contracts to match to be able to get a guy like that, you have to keep enough contracts on the books. So, for example, Kemba next year will be making $36 million. So if you match a contract for Lonzo and you give him $20 million, it's okay to be paying that other 16 17 to Bledsoe because, I mean, essentially you're saving that anyway because you were going to pay that to Kemba. So if it, you know, if you can split it up to where it makes sense, having Bledsoe wouldn't be a bad thing. It's just a matter of, like you said, having the, um, you know, an extra body as part of the rotation. I mean, he, he'd be better than Teague, so he's taking Teague, Teague's spot, but then I don't think that Teague was that deserving. So I don't know. I think that that would kind of complicate the rotation. But from a trade standpoint, like a pivot standpoint, I think that that would be a solid pivot because then you can use Bledsoe's contract. You have Tristan Thompson. If he's still here past the deadline, you have his contract. Uh, and you have, you know, young guys, and you have all your future picks. Which is fair, I understand that, and that makes perfect sense. It's just whether or not the Wizards would want to take Bledsoe in that deal, because if you're operating under the assumption that they're going to give up Bradley Beal, that means they're embracing a rebuild. They've already got, they're already going to be stuck with um, Russell Westbrook's deal. So would they want Bledsoe, or would they rather start build because if you've got that tpe say you don't use the tpe and in the summer this became available so you can it just gets really tricky um but i understand what you mean if, in terms of salary matching long term then bledsoe's deal makes perfect sense to add on to the books to be able to make that big swing further down the line um yeah i just think that whatever moves we make has to have bradley bill in mind like not that i'm saying he's the be all end all but you can't can't put all your chips into one basket so that when the time does come, if he is available, we can't make an offer. You know, kind of like what happened with James Harden back in 2013. You got to be ready. Yeah, that's fair. I completely agree with that. You've got to have the assets ready to be able to strike that deal. It's just... when would that deal become available do you know like Bradley Bill's been very vocal about wanting to stay in Washington that can change we've heard players say that and then up like asked to be traded in the summer uh, I, I've just kind of put compartmentalised Bradley Bill in my brain to just be like pipe dream maybe possible in a year or two oh yeah I've got the timeline all down he's got two years left on his deal next year is technically the last year because there's a player option on the second year so, you know, this time next year at the trade deadline, we'll be talking about, you know, will the Wizards move Bradley Beal or will they decide to keep him? But after next year, he'll have a player option. So if he decides he wants to opt out of that player option like Hayward, um, then that presents a problem for the Wizards because then he can decide he wants to sign anywhere. But he could also just as easily say, hey, I will opt in if you trade me here or there. These are my, these are the teams on my list. So pretty much the way I see it, he has a, we have a year left uh, to, to pay attention to Bradley Beal before things start to heat up. Yeah, that's fair. I can, I can get with that. And I agree to quite a big extent that if you're going to go with Bradley Beal, then you probably best serve doing it on a free agency run. But yeah, I do, I do like the idea of bringing in Lonzo. Even if we didn't trade Kemba, I would still, like if I could move Tristan Thompson to a third team, give up a pick in the 
the young player that New Orleans wants. If that could get me Lonzo, then I would bring Lonzo aboard, worry about paying him, and then in the offseason, then you look to move Kemba. You know, I would I would be intrigued by Lonzo or Collins. It just depends on the price. Yeah, I'd be intrigued on either of those guys. I think that um I think Lonzo's a more cost controlled asset long term as well as short term, but I think Collins has the highest ceiling. So either one would work fine for me. I just feel like John Collins is probably more realistic at this moment in time than what Lonzo bought it. Shout out to Wayne in the chat. Sorry, but it'd be nice if Celtics could get this just one time. The politics could work in our favor. Just just one time. But that's all I have to say if anybody else wants to come up. I appreciate you, Trey, man. Thank you. Thank you. How you doing, Sean? Have we... It feels like deja vu, Adam. I know, <laughs> yeah. I was... <laughs> have, we, have we spoke recently? I, don't I was know. on your podcast on Monday, this episode of our Wednesday. So if anybody... But for anybody listening, Sean hosts Lockdown Grizzlies, and he was nice enough to let me come over and speak into his podcast for an hour or so on Monday. No, you were kind enough to allow for me to have your gracious time and, and, and boost the uh, content and the quality of my podcast with you on it. Let's make sure we set the story straight. So, um, but wanted to ask real quickly. So I, I put out there the, uh, the, the poll and I, you know, threw out the idea of, so Jonas and John Conchar from us, who would be a decent, um, you know, guy for, um, I think the end of y'all's bench, maybe 10th or 11th in the rotation, whatever that may be. But Jonas and John Conchar for Aaron Neesmith, Tristan Thompson to make the salary match or whatever. And then a top 20 2021 pick that becomes a lottery protected 2022 pick. And 70% of of Grizzlies fans that voted on it, there were like 600 votes. They said that they wouldn't do it. That was not enough for Jonas Valanciunas. And I was blown away. Like, I thought that that was a pretty reasonable deal to where you can get another sh- guy with Neesmith shooting's potential plus another pretty quality pick in the next two years and two loaded drafts with a front office that can make the most of those picks, and it still wasn't enough. Like, I would think Boston may consider that, but probably would be the one to say no, but I'm surprised Grizzlies fans just wanted no Paul. That just tells you how much people value Valanciunas, though, right? Like this is the one reason I've been pushing that narrative. Like, uh, and I've accepted it's not going to happen, and it was just a name that made things a little bit fresh for me after a few weeks of hearing Barnes and Gordon and whoever else it may be. Um, but I can see why people would say no. I think that Tristan, Tom- Tristan Thompson is probably a downgrade over Valanciunas, so you'd be downgrading at the five in terms of your veteran big. I understand you guys have got Brandon Clark, you guys have got Tillman. But And then Neesmith just hasn't shown enough to have the value to make people really want to bite on him at this moment in time. I bet if Neesmith ended up having a breakout second half to the season and you re-ran that poll, there'd be a different response. But at the moment, he just looks like a fish out of water. Agreed. But the thing is, is that Valanciunas is already not in our closing lineups, right? And he probably won't be when Jaron comes back. That's going to be one other person that we're not going to put in there. So it, it, for me, it's the opportunity to get a lottery ticket or at least a project in the area that we need of shooting, plus another valuable pick and two very good drafts. But, you know, it, it, is it all right, Adam, if I address the question in the chat that was talking about Kyle Anderson? I don't want to take away from your show. No, but go just, ahead, go ahead. 
But that is someone else that I could possibly see Celtics, like the Celtics going after. Like, you want to talk, it's not going to happen because the Grizzlies value him too much. But I think that that would be an excellent target for the Celtics. However, I think that you that you start to get to, okay, if Neesmith and a potentially lottery-protected 2022 first just gets the Grizzlies to think, and they still might not do that because of how much they feel about Valanciunas, I don't really know what it comes to with slow-mo because he's more valuable to the Grizzlies than Valanciunas is. He's going to provide more value to a playoff team. But I wonder if you're – I don't see Boston trading more than Neesmith in a first. And and that's the thing. Grizzlies fans value Valanciunas over Kyle Anderson, even though Anderson is the more valuable player, especially in high leverage and playoff situations. So it kind of becomes confusing there, but I don't think Boston ups it over the Neesmith and first offer that they offered for Valanciunas. They'd probably offer the same thing for Kyle, and the Grizzlies would want more, I believe, than just that for Kyle. Yeah, I think that Boston fans would like to have Kyle Anderson. I also think Kyle Anderson's style of play would um, infuriate certain Boston fans just because he, (laughs) just because he plays in such a nonchalant way, you know, like um, he never looks like he's trying and then just does something amazing. And you're just like, I don't understand how this works. Um, I could see why the, the Grizzlies would want more for Kyle Anderson. I could see why. But I can also see why fans kind of are on this Valanciunas train just because he gives you such strength and presence down low and he does make it a lot easier for guys like John Morant to drive the lane because he can roll and make defences have to collapse on him. He can stretch the floor a little bit. He can grab boards and throw some nice outlet passes. I, I'm I'm really high on Valanciunas. I think he's one of the better non-star big men in the league. Um, I like Carl Anderson, but I just don't know how he would fit alongside Jalen and Jason. And I think that I'd be more inclined to, for the Celtics to pursue JV than I would be for them to pursue slow-mo, even though watching slow-mo on a nightly basis would be really fun. Yeah, and, and you also have to consider, and the reason why um, I think that the Grizzlies would hesitate just immediately, like if this was last year, and this was offered for JV and, or, or Kyle, and they and they had just one year left on their deal. The Grizzlies do this in a heartbeat, but I do think that the Grizzlies also kind of you know are keeping in the back of their mind. Yes, the future is the focus, but I just wonder um, what the Grizzlies put on, and you don't want this to have too much value. But JV and Kyle both are so critical to our culture as well. And that may not mean that much in the end, and it shouldn't mean that much if you get a good enough deal for the future. But yeah, I mean, I probably would trade Kyle or GV for Neesmith in the first, but I also wouldn't be surprised if the Grizzlies wind up saying no because they value them so much for the culture here and would rather play out this season with them in tow and then approach what they could do with them in the offseason. That's kind of my thought process. Yeah, and I think that the Celtics have got other targets that they're trying to pursue first. Um, I, I just like throwing out some Grizzlies names because I like some of the Grizzlies players. It's um, sensible, right? The question that's more in the point that's more intriguing to me is the fact that a team that could really do with some bench shooting at, at the wing is that low on Neesmith that that shows you how poor Neesmith has been. This, this is very true, and, and, and the the reason why I have a bit of faith in Neesmith, or the reason it's not necessarily Neesmith. It's more faith in, you know, um, Taylor Jenkins, 
who with young players has shown the ability to improve their shooting, you know, what, such as, you know, you know, what Bain's done, what Melton's done, what Kyle's done, but then you sit there and you backtrack it and you think, well, look at the regression. Sorry about that. You look at the regression that you've seen with Dylan, Jaw, and Tyus. So, you know, it goes both ways. But I think that with the type of coaching that um, uh, um, uh, Jenkins can offer, I think that he would work well with the project. But I've, I've got a call. I have to step down, Adam. I just wanted to talk with you a bit more. I may hit you up later on if I get free for a, a pregame party if, if, we, if you're up. But if not, always a pleasure, man. No, thank you very much for jumping up, Sean. And if I'm awake, then I'll definitely join in on that pregame party. Have a blessed one, bud. You too, bro. Hey, Rob, what's going on, buddy? Hey, you know, since I'm the only other Grizzlies fan here, I would like to ask, would Celtics fans be interested in Grayson Allen? Nobody's interested in Grayson Allen. Don't try and sell us damaged goods, dude. <laughs> no? No. You want to trade us Romeo Langford for Grayson? I wouldn't trade you Romeo Langford for LeBron James at this point. And that's not because LeBron's injured. That's just because I'm that unrealistically high on Romeo Langford. All right, fine. We'll settle for Jeff Teague in a first. <laughs> Jeff Teague. <laughs> Two seconds. Deal. We're done. Let's put. Let's fax it. Uh, I just don't like Grayson. I just think he'd. I don't know something about him being at Duke and then going to Boston. Would would it's funny to me. I mean, he's playing, you know, he's a floor spacer. I just think that he's really limited, and I just don't see how he would fit on the Celtics very well. So, um, Jeff Teague in two seconds, I'm more than happy with that. We can fax that into the league right now. Anything more than that's an overpay. No, but being serious, is there any one guy you want the Celtics to target this trade of the line? I've been really high on Harrison Barnes for the majority of the um, the trade scuttlebutt. Um I do like the idea of Aaron Gordon. I think I'm slowly warming to Gordon more than... And then if you want to look at a tier below that, I like John Collins still. I just don't... I worry about the longevity of that contract that he'd sign in the off-season. I like Lonzo Ball. I like Jonas Valanciunas. So there's a few guys, yeah. There's a few names that I'm willing to throw around. Uh, I think Aaron Gordon, out of all of them, is possibly the most realistic target. And how are Celtics fans feeling about this Marcus Smart news of him potentially being in a trade? Like you've talked about, you'd want you know another guard back in return for Smart. But what do you, what, if you're going to trade him, what's like the ideal player you want back for him? I think if you're going to trade Marcus Smart, you put him in as a package to swing for a big name. So I think if you were swinging a deal for Bradley Beal, for argument's sake, then losing Marcus Smart is something that you can live with. You can kind of justify having to move on from Marcus Smart. Um, a guy like John Cummins, I just don't think you can justify it. Now, if you're adding Bogdanovich in there, so you've got that bench scoring, it makes sense, and you kind of know that it needs to be done, but it's going to sting real bad. And um, a lot of Celtics fans at the moment are quite um, concerned. I think everybody's counting down to get past his trade deadline and keep Marcus Smart in town. But it's going to be a, a deal that either adds two or three pieces that really elevate the team's um, prospects of making it to a finals, or it's to swing for a star like Bradley Beal. No, thanks. Of course, man. Shravan, what's going on, my man? What's up, Adam? How are you doing? I'm doing well, man. I'm living the life, living the life. How about you? Yeah, same here. So, I have a question for you. How likely do you think Danny Ainge makes at least one move at the trade deadline? But any move, just any move at all? Any move, any, yeah. Any I put move. it at 60-40 that he does. And how likely do you think he puts a first-round pick in a deal? I'd put that at 40. 
Forty percent likely, sixty percent unlikely. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Yeah. And what do you think about that? Do you feel good about that? Odds are bad. No, I mean, at the end of the day, the Celtics don't need any more rookies, right? They've got yeah, more no, than their fair share of rookies. Yeah. But at the same time, I feel like um, if you're going to include picks in a trade, then it needs to be for a guy that's going to come in and really make a difference. So if you want to add picks to bring in Aaron Gordon or Harrison Barnes, then I'm completely fine with that. If you're going to throw in a couple of picks to get off Kemba's contract because you think that you need the salary space, I understand that too. If you want to throw in a couple of picks to bring in um, Grayson Allen, then I'm completely against that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, it just yeah. depends on who it is and what that deal entails. Uh, so I, it'd be more of a deal by deal basis, but I definitely think that they should start using some of their own picks for the next year or two. Yeah, because I think I've looked at Keith Smith's tweet about like the things the Magic are asking for their veterans. It's beyond ridiculous. I don't know if. Yeah, I think you like the idea of Aaron Gordon, but I don't think there is a realistic price for with the things the Magic are asking. I mean, the Magic are in a position of weakness now, though, because Aaron Gordon has, by all accounts, requested a trade. So now the Magic could do... It's better for the Magic to move on from him and to try and shore up some other areas of weakness for them. Um, So their price is going to have to come down. And I think as we get closer to the trade deadline, it's going to come down. But they're under no reason to have to make that trade right now. They can make him stay till the end of the season. They can make him stay till the end of the contract. But I think if you go to Orlando and offer them an Aaron Neesmith or, a, God forbid, a Romeo Langford um, with a Peyton Pritchard or, a, you know, just a couple of young guys that got some upside, then I think Orlando do that. It's obvious that now they're kind of buying into the Markel Fultz, Jonathan Isaac uh, future of the franchise. So you want to mm-hmm. put pick guys around them that are going to develop as Fultz and Isaac return to fitness and start developing as well. Yeah, makes sense. Like, I think they also think Vucevic is also part of their like franchise cornerstone. So, and Fultz and Isaac fit well with him. That's why probably their asking price for him is too high. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm all right with not not getting Vooch. Like, uh, I'm completely fine with that. I think that Vooch, if you're bringing in Vooch, my biggest thing is everybody's saying that Kemba doesn't fit the timeline. And they need to remove Kemba from that roster because Kemba's in his 30s, the Jays are young, you need to get a bit younger. 20, 28 seems to be the age that everybody wants. Vooch isn't 30, 31. Like, he doesn't fit the timeline either. So that that murk is the water even further. Um, mm-hmm. I just, um, Vooch's defense isn't great. Offensively, he's an upgrade over any big the Celtics have. I mean, that's clear cut. We can't argue with facts. Um, <laughs> but I'm just not really a big guy that's into trading for Vooch for this team. I think Vooch is great, but if I was going to choose a team I wanted to see Vooch play on, it would be San Antonio. Yeah, me personally, I think Vooch is an offensive engine. And Celtics, I don't think, need an offensive engine. They need a playmaker and facilitator. And you always need to look at any center you're getting for like rim protection and post-defense against Embiid and Giannis. So, I don't think Vooch helps with that. No, he doesn't at all. He helps space the floor so your attacks are better. But I think um, he's just as flawed as Tristan Thompson. I think Tristan Thompson's better defensively. And Tristan Thompson's not going to stop Davis or Giannis. So Vooch isn't either. All it means is you're getting into shootouts more because you're not going to be able to shut these guys down. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Adam. Of course, man. Thank you very much. What's good, Lucas? How's it going, Adam? I'm living, man. Doing as well as I possibly can be. How about yourself? 
Yeah, pretty much in the same boat. Um, <laughs> I just am wondering about something you said earlier. You brought up Lonzo, and I am very intrigued at the idea of Lonzo being the starting point guard. So what do you think that would take? Um, and do you think that's like even in the realm of possibility? I think it's in the realm of possibility, depending on the offer that goes back. Uh, I'm not sure what New Orleans are looking for, so I'm not really one to speculate. I think it would definitely be a young wing, um, some draft capital, and then maybe somebody that could help them now. So maybe they're looking at... Um, I think if you could go with like an Aaron Neesmith for Grant Williams and a Daniel Tice for Alonzo Ball and... I don't know, probably have to be JJ Reddick or something like that. Or if you want, you could get creative. Um, I'm, I'd have to sit here on a trade machine and try and figure out what really works. But I think that, I think there's a, a world where you can acquire Alonzo Ball via trade. There's been rumors that he's available. Personally, I don't understand why. I think his fit alongside, um, Zion is fantastic. The way they alternate ball handling duties is great. Um, the way that Lonzo's learned to play off ball and improved his three-point shooting in New Orleans is... I don't see why Lonzo would want to leave and I don't see why New Orleans would want to move on from Lonzo. Uh, but if he did come to Boston, um, you'd see a lot more ball movement, that's for sure. Uh, I like the fact that Lonzo can play on and off ball and he can defend on and off ball too. He's a very underrated def- perimeter defender, in my opinion. Uh, the only downside is, and I said this earlier in the show, uh, I've probably said it a thousand times at this point, He's very much a perimeter guard. He never, he doesn't like to absorb contact. He's not a guy that will go hunting and absorbing contact. So he doesn't tend to drive into the paint much. And the Celtics are very good at driving and kicking and forcing defenses to rotate. And you wouldn't really get that with Lonzo. But I could see a world where you let Pritchard play more on ball alongside Lonzo and Pritchard could be that penetrator. So it doesn't have to all be on ball. Uh, but I like the idea of Lonzo ball in Boston. I have done for a long time. I remember getting um, slaughtered on Twitter about a year ago for saying this is that same thing. Now all of a sudden it's Vogue to say it. Um, I'm a big I'm a big Lanzo fan. I think he could bring a lot to this team. Yeah, it's it's funny you say that like that you got slaughtered a year ago because I feel like if I asked myself a year ago today would I like Lanzo on the Celtics, I probably would have been out. But um, honestly, thanks to you and like a lot of other people, I think I've been able to look at some of these deals a little more rationally and like less team centric. And, like, if we have to give up Grant and Neesmith and stuff to really improve our team, I, I'm totally okay with it. And even as much as this hurts to say, like you said, if we can get Collins and Bogdanovich for Marcus Smart, I think it would have to be a go. Yeah, you just get too much back in that point. You know, I understand you lose the playmaking, you lose the defense, um, but you get ridiculously good bench scoring from Bogey. And you also get a guy with real high upside in John Collins that is going to be able to be a floor-stretching rebounder. Uh, sorry, a floor-stretching four that can rebound as well. Um, I think that you make that deal. If you have to, then you swing that deal. It hurts from Boston's perspective. I think your playmaking gets worse. But a lot of other aspects improve. And I don't think... no. It's very rare that one trade will improve every aspect of a team. You're always going to have to give something up to get something back. And, you know, I think the playmaking would probably fall more into Jalen and Jason's hands, just an increased role, even maybe Kemba and stuff. But, I mean, Bogdanovich is a good player, so he's maybe not a name that comes to mind when people think of, like, you know, a really good scorer. But watching him even in Sacramento, I mean, he's an actual good player. So, you know, all right, that's pretty much all I got. So thanks for letting me speak up here, Adam. Always of course, man. Thank you. Yeah, man. I appreciate you too. Thank you very much. And the last one of the day, we got Mr. Josh Allen. What's going on, Josh? 
My man, how we doing today? I'm living, dude. I'm doing well. How about you? Ah, I've been a little better at him, but you know what? Hey, not going to let anything bring me down. We're, we're doing good here. Um, my question to you, we've already kind of touched on it. Um, <laughs> shut up, Siobhan. <laughs> I'm a big, uh, obviously I've been a big proponent of Aaron Gordon from the get-go. Um, is there any scenario where they're able to get a John Collins and an Aaron Gordon in your mind? If it, may, if it means for moving on from smart in a package to Atlanta and then giving up some prospects and some picks and, and combined and all that deal to get both of those guys. Um, and then my other question is, have you heard anything on Langford front as far as um, anything at all? Yeah. So first things first, it is theoretically it's possible that you could acquire John Collins and Aaron Gordon. Cause you don't need to use the TP to acquire John Collins. Um, you'd need to send out Mark. I think if you just went Marcus Smart and for John Collins straight up, I don't think Atlanta really pushed back too hard on that. Um, and it works both ways, I think. Probably get a little bit more from him, even if it, I know Rondo's been the name that's thrown out of there. Yeah, I think Rondo uh, would have to be in the deal for a salary uh, to, to open up cap space for Atlanta. And then you can obviously you can start throwing an Aaron Neesmith, Grant Williams, and whoever else it is to try and get Aaron Gordon. I just don't think you need to do that. I don't think that both of those guys coming in, you end up in a position that Atlanta's in now, right? Where there's just too many bigs, too many wings, too many fours. Uh, and that's why they're obviously looking to shut bogey. And then in terms of Romeo Langford, the last thing I heard was he had entered health and safety protocols or you... some form of protocol. So he was back training, but he had to pass some form of like rehab protocol first. Do you think that he can come in and be a jolt right away or it's going to take him time to assimilate um, with his team? What are, what are your thoughts on his contributions, especially kind of going down the line as well? Can he turn into the flashes that we've seen of him or is he just going to be a, a role player off the bench? I mean, I'm really unreasonably high, so I'm probably a bit too uh, close to this one. Um, honestly, I think that he can give you some good penetration, give you some good slashing off the wing. I think he can do that straight away. I don't think he'll be impactful in the box score. I don't think he's going to be the guy that you go to down the stretch. Um, I think his defense will earn him minutes quite quickly because he's a good wing defender, especially as a point of attack guy. And I've also been a guy that's kind of threw it out there that maybe you try him at the point guard a little bit because of his willingness to kind of probe that defense and attack off the dribble, attack the, he likes to come go through the angles and attack the seams. I, I think there's going to be a world where you see a lot more of him than what you would Aaron Neesmith. But I also just don't have high expectations for him becoming an impactful scorer this year. However, I really hope that I'm wrong. And last thing, can you just say the word literally for me? Literally. <laughs> Come on, say it all I want you to. All right, I always appreciate you, Adam. I love it. How did you want me to say it? Literally. I would suggest you do. They're straight fire. Um, but I'll talk to you in the group, man. Appreciate you. All right, cool, questions. dude. Yeah, of course, man. Thank you very much, Josh. Okay, I've got one more in me. If anybody wants to ask one more before we close up for the day, we'll, we'll count down from five silently but it'll be a countdown and then i'll close the room so if the if this is it then um thank you everybody for joining in i know that keith's just opened his room so most of y'all are probably off over there um if you're listening to this on a podcast then please make sure you rate subscribe and leave something nice you know just write something nice like adam's awesome Celtic plugs awesome whatever you want to leave it's fine by me uh, as long as it's nice 
And guys, I'll catch you. I'll do a locker room again on Wednesday and Friday, but they won't be part of the podcast. And then you'll catch me next Monday for another Q&A. Everybody stay safe and hope the Celtics get this W against Memphis tonight.